Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. So today we are starting another book of the Bible. James, as I said before, is definitely one of my favorite books. It's practical. It helps me see. Hello, my cat. (laughs) It's a practical book because it helps me see what faith in Christ looks like in action. We talked about that a bit last week. Uh, The author of James is the half-brother of Jesus, Um, half-brother because Jesus was, uh, because the other brothers were Mary and Joseph, and Jesus was Mary and the Holy Spirit, which is a theological, um, you know, mind-bending kind of perspective that we're not going to get into today, but that's who Christ was and is. Um, his, he had other brothers, he had other sisters, other siblings, even uh, his brother Jude is has a book in the Bible as well in their biblical canon. Uh, James and the rest of Jesus's siblings did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah while he was on earth, which of course, like if your brother was just like, by the way, you guys, I'm God. I'm pretty sure you'd be like, no, no, you're arrogant. <laughs> Can you imagine your sibling saying that he was God in flesh? We can read about James after Jesus left this earth. That is when he pledged his life to Christ. Um, he uh, experienced the movement of the Holy Spirit in a really profound way that kind of shifted everything he saw in this world and his entire perspective on his brother Jesus. In the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are ministering to Gentile Christians, and and Gentile Christians just mean that they are not Jewish. They were trying to figure out all these different laws and all these different things that were happening in the world uh, when it came to being Christ followers who were Jewish. Uh, And so they were trying to figure out the law of circumcision and if Gentile Christians who converted uh, to Christianity and and oftentimes in this beginning part, if you converted to Christianity, you had to convert to Judaism first. They were trying to determine if these Gentile Christians would have to be circumcised. It was a hot topic of the day. It was like on everybody's mind. They were trying to figure out the logistics and the guidelines of leading a new movement. Like, how do we start? a new movement of leadership, how do we not get it wrong? I mean, the weightiness of how that would have been. So in James, um, or James, we find out in Acts 15, which you're welcome to kind of dog ear your Bible or throw a bookmark in because Acts 15 is really telling of who James is in a lot of ways. Um, He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. He was highly respected and honored. People listened to him and followed him I mean, and probably in some ways because he was the brother of Christ, right? But what we're going to see in this letter is that James isn't, he didn't write his letter from the perspective of his family status. Like he didn't use that as a placemaker. He doesn't use it to his advantage as many of us would. I mean, a lot of us will name drop people when we hear about people in our lives or we're like, oh, we've got this many degrees of celebration between us and this celebrity. Um, James doesn't use his family name for his own benefit because he knows that it doesn't matter who you know or what your birth status is 
or if your dad was a preacher in this denomination or that denomination or a higher up or a bishop or any of those things, because every person must decide for themselves to submit their lives to following Christ as their savior and Lord. And we are all faced with this choice to say yes, to receive God's love for us, or to say no and deny God's love for us. And James said yes to Jesus as his Lord and his Savior, and that determined everything he did in his life because he understood his life was now found in God and in the purposes of God in the world. And what he found was how his life, how his how his faith in God determined how he lived for God. If you remember last week, we looked at the word faith and the the weighty kind of baggage that that word can come with for, for people who've grown up in the church in some ways. But faith we looked at from Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it means the substance and the foundation of what we hope for and the gritty, determined conviction of what we can't quite yet see. So it's faith is the hope, is what we hope for, trusting in what we can't quite yet see. It is a present posture It is a present heart posture of an unseen future hope. So James was writing this letter from a place of faith and a place of encouragement. He doesn't know what the future holds for these Christians that he's writing to. They are undergoing some of the hardest times of their lives, the hardest trials and circumstances of their lives, that the poverty and the persecution has caused some of his best friends and other disciples of Jesus to actually move away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like, with the temple there, it was the holy center of creation. And they had to move out of where they felt like God had moved them towards. They had to find places outside of those spaces. And so they were now scattered outside of where James was. They probably felt disconnected from worship. They felt disconnected from each other. They they probably needed reminders of what faith in action looks like and reminders that they were not alone in their difficulties. How often do we need these reminders as well? What faith in action looks like And reminders that we are not alone in our difficulties. You are not alone in your difficulties. Things were hard for them as a church. Things were hard for them as individuals. And James takes the knowledge of God's word and the belief in God and asks them based on these things to then live differently in the world because of this knowledge. So I want to walk through this passage this morning and see what it has for us as God's people, as God's church today during um, a global pandemic, during very hard times that each of us are going through as individuals and as the church is going through as well. Because the church is not a building. We all know that, you guys. We're experiencing church right now because we are we are binding our lives and our hearts together in the midst of this sermon And if you are watching this at some random time, six months from now, you are still bound as a follower of Christ to the church. So this is a word for us as individuals and a word for us as Christ's church. It says here in the beginning in in verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That word consider 
it makes me think of like weighing my options, right? It's an active word. It's not something that just happens to you randomly. It is something that you are emotionally invested in. The word doesn't speak to something that just happens on its own. It is an invitation for us to engage with the trial in a different way. It is not a word of numbing or simply letting it be. It is not a word that says, well, come what may, or the kind of surrender of like, well, whatever, whatever is going to happen. This word consider it makes us feel invited and it makes us contemplate in a way that transforms our own posture and perspective of this trial. It, it insists that we engage with what is going on. And everyone of us has experienced or are experiencing trials. There are losses in your life you never thought you'd make it through, or even right now you might feel like you might not make it through. And what James is speaking of here is, is not just the individual trial of your life, it is a communal trial. What does that mean, a communal trial? It, it means that the church was experiencing such communal hardship because of the individuals. These were trials that individuals were going through, but they felt it in the community because in the church, when the church is in her best state, we carry each other's trials. We know each other's burdens. We meet each other's needs because you've invited us into meeting your needs, into hearing your trials, into praying with you, into interceding with you on your behalf. Our trials, while they are individual, become communal when we are part of the church. And James writes, consider your trials joy. Joy? Really? Joy is the posture I'm supposed to have during the hardest time of my life. Think about the hardest times of your life. Is joy the posture? Man, I think of the times I've experienced the hardest, most difficult uncertainties. I mean, you all know my story of adopting and and raising adopted kids and, and just even infertility. Obviously, that was a trial. Uh, it feels like it was so long ago in so many ways, but raising adopted kids that come from trauma, they're not only living out their trial in your life, but they're also creating an, its own sort of trial. The way I've had to lean onto Jesus in, in moments of darkness and wondering what's to come next. These are, these are trials that we never really finish up with in many ways, right? Our children walk with us our whole lives. We carry them with us through every part of our life. And we're supposed to consider it joy this response that James invites us to have is not based on positive thinking or 
fading happiness or some sort of emotional reaction that you're trying to muster up because you're a good Christian and this is how I'm supposed to respond to the things that berate me and attack me and and, and tear me down. I'm supposed to become this happy person all the time. Joy is not happiness because happiness is contingent upon our circumstances. Joy reveals an inner confidence in the goodness of God throughout the midst of your trials and storms. Because on Christ the solid rock I stand, joy becomes a supernatural reaction to the impossible parts of life. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't feel the effects of these trials and storms. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the effects of suffering. We mourn and we weep and we cry out. We shout in sadness and in rage towards God, sometimes knowing that God is capable of holding our pain. We question the why, but we don't question God's love in it. Sometimes there's not answers to why, but what does it look like as a community to gather around each other in the pain of the trial without having to have the answers to the why? To sit in the silence together, trusting that joy is the foundation. Joy becomes the foundation of our inner confidence of God's goodness. And it's God-given. Joy is God-given. It is the bedrock where we solidly place ourselves. While the emotions are felt and they bombard us and we experience them and we hold them and we know these emotions are not markers of distrust or lack of faith. They are something we feel as human beings created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, but yet our bedrock is one of joy. And that inner confidence of God's goodness, which brings joy, actually shapes your perspective to be able to see through the trial instead of just seeing the trial. We see through the trial instead of just seeing that trial. Remember, faith is a present posture of trust in God for an unknown future. We don't know how long the trials in our lives will last or the pain that will probably continue to assault us along the trial. But our focus as Christ followers is not on the trial. Our focus is to see through the trial to the bigger thing that God is doing in the world while we are asking and praying and, 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 and weeping to God for a new perspective. This takes an act of faith. This response to seeing through the trial is what our faith looks like in action. And this is not a response the world is familiar with, right? Joy in trials, seeing the good God is doing and hoping for good in the trial. With Christ, we find that there's another response to the fears of this world, to the trials of life. We aren't stuck in a perpetual state of fear or despair. With Christ, we respond to trials with joy. We fight fear with hope. 
We push back despair with shouts of praise. We sing out the truth of God for us and for this world. Let's keep going. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults and it will be given to you. And the character of God as revealed in here is one of generosity, not stingy, not ready to smite you at, a, at every corner. The character of God, the, the integrity of God is generosity. That word for complete, it says in the beginning, um, so that you're, so where does it say it? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That word for complete means wholeness. It means all things made right. It means that everything within you is like put back together again. But the precursor for wholeness is wisdom. And wisdom isn't some sort of type of philosophy or brilliance of thinking. Wisdom is a heart posture towards God. Wisdom is walking with God. And sometimes when we're going through a really hard thing, when you're going through a really hard thing, it is hard to see beyond that thing. Like we keep staring at it and obsessing with it. And we are, we were like willing it to change, right? With all of our might. If I just focus on this trial, if I just focus on this thing, if I just focus on this hardship or this anxiety or this depression or whatever it is that's bombarding my heart and my mind right now, if I just put all my energy towards it, that's what I need to do. But wisdom is when our focus is shifted away from that thing and we aren't looking at that thing anymore. We begin looking through it. Wisdom is seeing through the trial or fear or depression or a financial hardship or, or death in the family. Wisdom is looking through the family disappointments, the disappointment we have towards our family members and the disappointment our family members have towards us. It, it looks, we, we look through raising teenagers and a global pandemic or what even this next semester will look like. Wisdom is looking through it and having faith that God will see you through it. But often wisdom arrives when our community redirects your focus off of the thing and back onto Christ. Sometimes we need our community to snap us back out of that cycle that we go through that that wave that runs back and forth in our lives, that hamster on the wheel that makes us focus on the one thing in our lives that actually makes us not focus on the things that actually matter. Your trial matters. Absolutely, it matters. And it's painful. And it is okay to feel all the things that you are feeling. But when we focus on the trial only, then we are missing what God is doing through the trial. And that God will move us 
through the trial. Trials help us see what really matters. And when we can see through them, and, 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 and they call us, they, they cause us to call out to God. It's to be in prayer all of the time. They invite us to seek wisdom by walking with God. They strip the extras away, like that refining fire that removes the dross, those extra things in our lives that, that are no longer necessary, that keep us from being our full selves, the extras that keep us double-minded and unstable in all we do. And James talks about this. He says in verse six, when you ask, God, for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Ah, I think a lot of us are double-minded, you guys. I think a lot of us feel a bit unstable these days while so many trials bombard us through this global pandemic and historical racial injustice that is rooted in our country and, and we see it all over, or at least we're beginning to see it. And then there's heavy information that comes our way at such a rapid pace that it feels like we can barely catch our breath from the sadness and despair and fear in this world. Not even the individual trials that we're going through, but the global trials, the community trials, the things that weigh so heavy on us that we feel like we can't even respond to sometimes. Double-minded means that we try to hold on to God and we try to hold on to the world. It means that we cling to our comforts while trying to cling to the cross. We self-medicate and numb into the evenings and then we try praying into the mornings. We long for more purpose and more influence while we're trying to recognize Christ's purpose and influence. We overspend online believing that those shoes or that new phone will fill some sort of lack in our lives while posting how there is no one like our God. We insist on being right on social media, tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ, canceling them when they don't agree with our political mindset or our liberal or conservative way of thinking, believing that they are the enemy when we don't agree with them, all while claiming to be unified in Christ. We keep clinging to the ways of the world, believing it's there that we will find meaning and purpose. We, we cling to the Bible, hoping to find meaning and purpose there. We cling to our families, and to their expectations. We cling to our careers and our portfolios and our influences. We cling to our church buildings and the familiar liturgies and songs. We cling to our sexuality or our marriages or even our theological beliefs. But none of these things or people or identity markers are the bearers of life. They may be good and God-given, but they are not where true life is actually found. Life is found 
in Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross and resurrection from the dead has made it so that any trial that comes your way is not the end of you. The trials that come our way, they they build endurance and perseverance. They make you stronger and more focused. They remind you of what actually really matters in this world. And through every trial, the world gets a little bit more stripped away, that through Christ we become more single-minded. Because the way of Christ shows us another way that we get to respond to the world with joy. Take a moment and reflect on that. The way we we get to respond to trials in this world because of Christ is with joy. Christ will see you through the trial. So if your focus is on the trial itself, May you begin to see through it and know that Christ will see you through it. And may your response to the trial that you are in right now, may your response to that trial be one of joy. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this video. And I hope that you find a time of encouragement and reflection, that you are aware of God's love in your life and that that is something that moves you into the gospel in this world. Go in God's grace today and be blessed.